Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Ear Fuel Podcast. As always, I'm Joel Freemark, and you can find me talking about music at facebook.com slash thedailyguru and instagram.com slash earfuel. Summer vacation is over. Yay! Yay, right? No. Is it? I don't know. I like cold weather. Anyway, I am very happy to be back in your ears. Took a couple weeks off, and today is going to be all about the problems in concert ticketing and some tricks to help you score tickets to your favorite show because it's something anyone who loves music has to deal with way more often than we should have to. But before that, I do want to touch on a few new releases. The last few months have seen the release of some records I very much enjoy, and while I'm not going to get too deep into it like I sometimes do, they definitely need to be on your radar. And first up is the self-titled debut from the band Ultra Major. This is a killer rock record that brings just the right amount of fuzz and grit, and the hooks are great, and it's one of those albums that you're going to find yourself turning up louder and louder and louder and louder. These songs are so damn good. Now, I don't want to pigeonhole this album at all, but if you dig the post-punk sound, 90s alt-rocker, you know what, honestly, if you like great hard rock, Ultra Major is going to be a band you're going to dig, so go check them out. Now let's make a hilariously sharp musical left turn and talk about Ariana Grande's new record. It's called Sweetener, and it's actually worth a bit of your time. Tracks like Better Off and Breathing are a reminder that she is one of the few pop stars. Listen, listen, listen. She's one of the few pop stars these days that has raw talent. She sings, and she sings really well. Avoid the collaboration tracks on this record. I think they're the weakest on the album, but drop your pop music pretension Check this record out. There's really some good stuff going on. And one last record to hear is the new album from Cowboy Junkies. It is called All That Reckoning. Truth be told, there are a few things I enjoy more than the meandering, morose tones that this band does so perfectly. Even when they have a more upbeat tempo, they never break the mood, and the last few records they have put out are some of my absolute favorites. I honestly can't wait for the cold weather to arrive because it's going to make these songs so much better. I mean, really, this is a band that's getting better with age. I love when bands do that. They're doing it, and a lot of people are going to hate me for this one. I think Dinosaur Jr. just gets better with every record they put out. Your ears are going to thank you for giving this one a spin. All That Reckoning, Cowboy Junkies, go listen to some new music. Moving on. We all love live music, right? Right. Going to concerts is awesome. It is one of my favorite things to do. And so today I'm going to dig into the craziness that has become the concert ticket process. I mean, over the past 15 years or so, give or take, the price of tickets has just gone through the roof, right? And the blame game has begun in terms of who or what caused it. It's the artists, it's Ticketmaster, it's the venues, it's the price of gas, this, that, and the other thing. I'm going to discuss some of the claimed sources of the problem, so I suppose to a certain extent we're going to have a bit of music myths going on, and eventually before we're done here, I'm actually going to talk about things you can do to up your chances of getting tickets at face value, some trips and ticks that I use, um, you know, to beat the shady scalpers and ticket bots. So let's start by saying some large numbers. One billion. Two billion. Ha ha ha. No. Okay, we're not, we're not having a count episode of Sesame Street here. Sorry, sometimes, sometimes my humor is just for me. So um, how about a relevant number? 2001. 
2001 was the year that the big change, the big jump in ticket prices began. And in short, it's kind of when venues and promoters changed the whole ticketing structure. They did it really subtly. And this new approach basically allowed them to sell, quote unquote, premium tickets for way more money. If you look back into the 90s and stuff like that, you're not going to see premium ticketing. It really wasn't a thing. Basically, people who were reselling tickets and venues and promoters saw the massive amounts of money that ticket scalpers and other secondary market reseller type people were making, and they wanted in on that profit. Here's another number. I promise there will be no math on this. I promise. That number is 43, as in 43%, because that's how much the average concert ticket price rose between 1998 and 2001. 43%. Let's say you saw the U2 tour. Let's not talk about U2. I don't know. No, we'll get to U2 in a bit. Let's say you went to see, let's see, 98 and 2001. Let's say you went to see NSYNC in 1998 and you paid $100 for the ticket. We're going to work with $100 because it'll be easy for people like me who aren't very smart when it comes to math. If you went to that same exact show, the same exact tour in 2001, it would have cost you $143. Same group, same mega pop star status, same venue. I mean, you could have even sat in the same seat, but you're going to pay $43 more. And in case you're wondering, because I know you're wondering because you're smart people, inflation between 98 and 2001 was just 8.6%. So there's still over $30. That's kind of pure greed. I guess there is going to be math today. I'm going to, I will try and keep the math to a minimum because this is about music. But for the record, that 43% has gotten much worse. In 2001, the average top ticket price, you know, the most expensive tickets to each show. Uh, you know what? Let's, let's change that around here. The highest price ticket to the highest price tour of that year belonged to Elton John. He had, the, he had the most expensive tour of the year. The most expensive ticket to his show averaged at $102 a ticket. The best seat in the house for Elton John's tour in 2001 averaged about $100, $102 to be exact. So in 2016, the highest average ticket belonged to Adele, which makes sense. You want want to guess? Get a number in your head. So again, 2001, Elton John, best seat in the house, averaged $102. In 2016, the average best price ticket to Adele four hundred and sixty nine dollars it's an increase of over 350 percent you want to go even more crazy drake was selling standing room tickets a standing room ticket you don't even get a seat for over a hundred dollars so so think about that in 16 years you went from being able to sit in the best seat in the house at an elton john concert for a hundred bucks to getting a standing room ticket for drake for a hundred bucks I mean, there was a time not that long ago when three-digit tickets were basically a guarantee that it was, you know, some sort of VIP package or, you know, a, a multi-day event. I, I, it's not standing room. What I'm saying here is you are not crazy for thinking ticket prices have gotten out of control and are ridiculously more expensive than they used to be because they have and they are. In 2015, here's another fun number, the top 100 tours grossed over $3 billion. $3 billion. It's a lot of money. <sighs> okay, math and, num- meh, you know, math and numbers. I got to stop saying that because math and numbers are not over. We're going to go through a lot of numbers here. So uh, if you have a paper and pen, you, know, you can just listen back and write this down because the numbers are insane. 
So we've kind of seen a bigger picture here, though. Let's look at how ticket prices are kind of put together in the first place. I mean, that's that's where the problem begins, right? Why why is the face value on the ticket so much higher? That 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 huge jump from the Elton John ticket. And any way you slice it, artists themselves are the beginning of the face value food chain. There have been a handful of tours over the last years you can think of where artists have made it very clear to the public that they wanted to keep their concert ticket prices low. Uh, Kid Rock did this a few years ago. I don't remember how low it was, but he he made it a point like, I want people to be able to afford these shows. And now, now that is not to say other artists want high ticket prices, but I mean, it, it does ultimately begin with the artist. Now, the artist does have to consider costs because, you know, if you don't know the things that they have to pay for on tours, they have costs like hotels, you know, for crew. They they actually have their crew they have to pay for, staging, buses. There, there's all sorts of, of costs that artists incur on tour. And, of course, they also want to put some money in their pocket. And even if that band doesn't have an elaborate stage show with pyro and video screens and whatever... There are still plenty of costs to just putting a tour on the road. I mean, if you're Iggy and the Stooges and you're just showing up saying, turn on the lights and we're just going to do our thing because we're that good, there are still touring costs. This by no means, no means gives people an excuse for high ticket prices. They can't just say, hey, I, I have much larger expenses for touring, so I'm just going to push that on to the fans. But, uh, you know, what? I'm going to call them out a bit later. I just wanted to cover the fact that there are legitimate costs to touring, whether you're a small band or a big band. Anyway, the artist says what they want the ticket to be. So for this example, let's just say $20. It's it's a simple number, and I'm a simple person. So as we all know, though, the artist saying, I want face value to be $20 is not the end of the story. The promoter's going to want to cut. The venue's going to want some money. Live Nation, Ticket Bastard, they're going to want their money. And that's kind of where we get into the land of endless fees. You know, the thing you see and you're just like, come on. So while some states do have laws limiting these fees, most don't. So uh, let's let's talk about them, shall we? There's almost always a facility charge. Yay, the facility charge. And that's money that goes directly to the venue. Now, make no mistake here. The venue is getting other money. They're, they're making a huge cut from concessions. They're probably getting a cut of the merch. They're getting some of the face value ticket money. But this facility charge is a way for them to make more money. Uh, lately, I've been seeing a lot of them at about two fifty. So let's just let's just call it three dollars. We'll just call it from this twenty dollar ticket three dollars added to it for the facility fees. Next up, of course, is the super annoying service fee, which sometimes has a different name. They'll call it a convenience fee or something like that. That's the fee that makes me want to reach through my computer and just smack somebody. Because it's not unusual for that fee to be up to 25% of the face value of the ticket. So when you think, wow, this this ticket price is getting out of control, no, you're right. It, it really does. So we're going to add another $5 in fees to the price. And don't think I'm going to forget the hilarious order processing fees so that their computer can run. These days, it's usually a flat $6. So if you're keeping track, we have accrued $14 in fees on what was a $20 ticket. More than 50% of the face value. And also, we didn't even get knocked for a ticket delivery fee. If you're like me and you always want the physical ticket, that's usually another 2 or $3. And for those of you thinking, well, you know, a $20 show, the fees aren't that high. Yeah, I'm actually using a real-world scenario for a show I went to the other month. So this happens. Isn't it fun? I mean, I understand. If you're buying a ticket with like a $100 face value, 14 bucks might not seem that bad. But the point is still the point. Here's the really weird thing. 
This can actually even end up hurting the artist, and it most recently happened to Taylor Swift, who was struggling to sell out any of the dates on her Reputation Tour. That's the tour she's on right now. Because the additional fees on her face value tickets were just ridiculous, and they even went so far as for a few days, I think it was in June, ticket sellers were waiving the service fees just trying to move more tickets. Now, a lot of artists are going to defend the high ticket price because they say, you know, they're trying to make up for a drop in sales of physical music. And, you know, there is some truth to that, as artists are certainly not raking in money like they used to from selling albums. But if you're going to try to tell me that Aerosmith or the Rolling Stones or any of these long running acts are hurting for money and they need to pass that on to the concert going fans by raising the prices of tickets, fish. I mean, come on, folks. And don't think that that lets streaming era artists off the hook because it doesn't, because they're still selling records, maybe not in the same amount, but they're also not making as much physical media. Their profit margins are higher. But I digress. Now, we all know prices are what they are for the primary ticket sale, but we know that these days, even if you decide to pay those prices, you still have to actually get the ticket, as in beat the bots, for what can seem like only a handful of tickets. <sighs> This is getting depressing. I uh, this is I'm sorry. I did not like this is this is so doomsday. I promise. Then when we're through with all of this, I have some tips to talk about to give yourself the best shot of scoring tickets. But right now, we have to continue to slog through this mess of sadness. <sighs> now, if you are one of those people who says to yourself when you get shut out of ticketing, there is no way my, insert local venue name here, could sell out as quickly as they seem to. You're actually right. Brace yourself. Make sure there are no tables nearby for you to flip or things that are around you that you don't want to break because I'm going to say some stuff that is going to infuriate you because it's true. Let's have another guessing game. Do you want to guess what percentage of tickets actually make it to the general on sale? We actually know this because the Attorney General of the State of New York did an extensive study to find out. We know exactly what percentage of tickets, on average, is actually getting to that general on sale. What do you want to, what do you want to guess? Now, consider that before the general on sale, tickets are set aside for you know fan clubs, pre-sales for credit card companies, radio station giveaways, guest lists for the bands, promoters, venues. I mean, there's, there's a lot of hands in that pot. So what's your number? Okay, you ready? Remember, no flipping tables. On average, I cannot believe I'm going to say this, on average, less than half of the total tickets to a given show in a given venue actually end up in the general public on sale. It's actually 46%. 46% of a venue actually go on sale to the general public. Breathe, breathe. I know it's infuriating, but it's true. And one of the reasons shows seem to sell out so fast is because only half of the tickets are actually going on sale. So also consider then how that impacts the financial bottom line for the evening. If you're giving away, you know, and they're not giving them all away, fan clubs aren't giveaways, credit card things aren't giveaways, but if you're giving away a significant percentage of the tickets eaten tonight for things like radio station giveaways and guest lists, that loss has to be made up somewhere. So hey, we'll add another two or three bucks to every single ticket. So where are we right now with this wonderful, hypothetical, but far too often true scenario? We have a ticket that has added almost 50% in fees, and now less than half of those tickets at that price are actually available to me. 
So now we can have that joy of discussing how to battle the bots and the scalpers. This is so fun. In short, if you don't know, bots are used by ticket resellers, which is a nice way to say scalpers, to get large amounts of tickets faster than any human. These are computer programs that can fill out online forms in an instant. They can bypass authentication codes and CAPTCHAs, and they can also do multiple entries at once. Case in point, the last time that YouTube played Madison Square Garden, the New York Attorney General found that one scalper, one single scalper, managed to get over 1,000 tickets to the show in under a minute using bots. I'm going to say that again. One scalper using bots got over 1,000 tickets in under a minute. Madison Square Garden's capacity is about 20,000, so we split that in half due to the circumstances we already discussed, and so only about 9,500 tickets, we'll call, actually went on sale to the general public, and this one person snagged more than 10% of that allotment, and we know he wasn't the only scalper with those tools. So if you're wondering why you see tons of tickets instantly up for resale and you're shut out after 90 seconds, now you know why. You want to know how bad it is? Okay. So let's go back to the 100% of the venue, okay? Every single ticket is available because we're, we're going we're gonna to cut that down. We lose half the tickets to the presale and the guest list. We talked about that. Industry experts estimate about half of those remaining tickets, half of that 46%, end up in the hands of scalpers. So the other way of saying that is about one quarter of the total tickets available in any venue actually get into the hands of general public on-sale fans. Oh, wait, wait, there's one more thing I forgot. Oh, I wish it wasn't all so bad. This is another table flip moment. Did you know, did you know, that over the past decade, artists have started scalping their own tickets? Yeah, I'm not kidding. It is a regular practice now. Artists will hold or demand a pretty significant swath of the best seats in the house, and then they put them up on resale sites for themselves. Most defend the practice by saying it's so that the artists get the extra money instead of the scalpers, but I'll let you decide how you feel about that. Now, I will say, this, this, is, this is where we start. We, we, we've turned the corner now. We're, we're, we're rounding home. We're slowly coming out of the woods. There have been some successes in getting around scalpers. One of them is that due to the way that she sold tickets, it's estimated only about 2% of all of the tickets to Adele's 2015 UK tour actually made it into the resale market. Also, a handful of artists have just stopped distributing tickets to shows. You kind of show up at the venue with your ID and they let you into the show and they just kind of say, this is where your seat is. The idea is that you cannot transfer the ticket. That's not an idea. I mean, that's, that's what it is. You cannot transfer the ticket once you bought it under any circumstances. So scalpers really have no way to work. You can't show up at the venue and say, oh, you know, hey, I'm Joel, and I can't go to the show, so these are my two buddies. Literally, if you're not going into the show, nobody's getting that ticket. Now, I, I dig the idea, but it's a massive pain to carry it out. Also, if you're an artist or you're in the industry or you're a professional ticket reseller, you want things to stay how they are because you're making a boatload of cash. In case your head is spinning with numbers and the fury of 10,000 suns, here's what we've learned so far. Ticket prices have spiked massively over the past 20 years. And while the cost of touring has increased, it's nowhere near the inflation of ticket prices. So when artists come out and say, you know, it's gasoline, we're putting on a bigger stage show, this, that, and the other thing... The numbers do not line up. Yes, they have those expenses, but the money they're making off of tickets is tenfold that. 
We also know that added fees can almost double the price of the ticket. And in case I didn't make it clear, artists are aware of things of that. I'm not saying they all consent to it, but they damn well know how much their fans are paying in the end. We also know, remember, this is all fact, no fake news here. It is not uncommon for more than three quarters of a venue to be spoken for before a general public on sale. So to sum all that up, no, you are not crazy. The deck of I want to go to this concert is massively stacked against you. <sighs> Man, that that was that might have been the least amount of fun I've had doing one of these podcasts because it's just really depressing to lay out these numbers and see that, yeah, it is really damn difficult for an average fan to get a ticket at face value to a show these days. And and the problem is being created by the industry because it's not a problem for them. They found a way to make ridiculous amounts of money and they're just going to keep making it worse and worse. And I know, I know what you're thinking. Go see smaller shows, go to smaller venues. I get that. But I mean, I want to see big acts sometimes. I want to see medium acts sometimes because this is just not a big mega star thing. It's across the board in music. This is a big problem. Make no mistake. If you love music, this is a big time issue, but people continue to pay the prices and they want to battle the bots and whatnot. So it's unlikely it's going to reverse its course anytime soon because people are making lots of money and people are willing to continue to play. And with that in mind, let's all take a breath and then run full speed towards our ray of sunshine, which is some tips and tricks to give you the best shot at scoring face value tickets. Let me see if let me see if I have like a happy sound effect laying around just to just to kind of clear the palate. Okay, that was nice. That was really nice. <laughs> anyway, we all, we all feel a little bit better now. Yeah. So with everything we've discussed, the big remaining question is, you know, what, what can the average music fan do to see concerts these days without breaking the bank? There are a few tactics that might help, and the first and the biggest is take advantage of pre-sales. I, I laid it out at the top. Almost half of the tickets are allotted outside of the general pre-sale, and a fair portion of that goes to pre-sales and fan clubs. Do not bet on the general pre-sale. It is a losing bet. If it's a band you love, it's probably worth it to join the fan club. I mean, for the overwhelming majority of acts, fan club members get a code a day or two before the general on sale. And while that's not a sure thing either, it's usually a good place to start. Your odds are much better there. If it's a fan club that charges and you're like, man, I don't I want to pay like $10 a year or whatever. First off, I mean, do you really like the band? But really, what I would do then is as soon as they announce a tour or when you know they're putting out a new record, Join the fan club for that year, just for the one year, so that you can take advantage of the pre-sale code. You don't have to do it every single year, but, you know, do what you can to put the odds in your favor. There are also some credit card companies that get early ticket access. American Express is usually the most prominent, you know, so if you're in a position where you can carry a card that gets ticket advantages, I would definitely do that. That has been a massive success for me. There are also some websites out there. There are some free and some paid sites that offer pre-sale codes. Use them at your own risk. Reddit is actually a pretty solid place to find those pre-sale codes. So there are resources to help you get into the pre-sale. Pre-sale is the easiest, number one way to get a ticket at face value, in my opinion. The second tip might be a no-brainer, but I feel like I have to mention it. Make sure you have a fully updated account with Ticketmaster or Live Nation. You know, whatever whatever corporate giant oversees your local venues, make sure your account is up to date. 
your credit card, your address, all that is in there because it can save you time during the ticket buying process. Because remember, in most cases, you are battling against robots and people buying on a large scale. Seconds matter. This is the easiest thing you can do because you can do it months in advance and never touch it. And also, if you have an account, uh, if tickets open up later, sometimes, you know, a week before the show or something, they will open up another allotment of those tickets that were initially set aside. That's the best way to find out about it. One really big trick I use, and this is especially when I'm trying to get tickets for a super big on-demand show, go for fewer seats. It is nowhere near as fun to go to show solo, and I'm not saying go to a show solo, but finding a single ticket is going to be much easier than finding a group of four or even just a pair of tickets. Now, this this is my go-to move. When I get the, you know, we can't find tickets, you know, whatever, when I get that really frustrating message from Ticketmaster, the beginning of the general on sale, I go back to the screen and I just try and find one just to get me in the door because there's always these single seats hanging around. So just just grab one. Because even if you're not going to sit next to your friend at the show, you you still want to see the show, right? Let me say this, though. Do not get greedy. That is to say, if you get denied for the pair of seats and you instantly find a single seat, Do not assume you can find a better single seat. Even if it's in the last row, think twice before you give up the single seat to try and find a better one. It sounds like I'm speaking from experience, huh? Because I am. Here's what can happen. Many, many moons ago, Tom Waits did a tour. And if you're anything like me, I mean, it's, it's Tom Waits. So I got burned really bad. I couldn't get two seats, so I did my one seat, and I think it was the second-to-last row in the venue, and it was a really small venue in Columbus, Ohio. I decided to roll the dice and try and get a better seat, and I failed, and I didn't get to see the show. So hit that give-up seat or search for better seats with a lot of caution when you're down to just doing the one-seat thing. The most important thing is get in the door for a face-value ticket. Everything past there, you know, see what you can do. Now, if you strike out on the regular sale, and as we've discussed, most people will, there are some tips and tricks for even the most frustrating secondary market, and rule number one for me is only stick to the big resellers. These days, it is annoyingly easy to create counterfeit concert tickets. People do it. A lot of people do it, especially if they're just, you know, generic print-at-home Ticketmaster tickets or just the generic-looking Ticketmaster tickets. This can really burn you bad. Currently, No company offers any way to validate the authenticity of a ticket being sold outside of, you know, the the StubHub, SeatGeeks, TicketsNow sort of places, and even those sites can burn you from time to time. But honestly, if you're going to go on eBay or, or Craigslist, I don't know, do people go on Craigslist for tickets looking for a ticket? Buyer beware, for sure. I do not trust those sites, no matter how many buyer guarantees they list in the fine print. I would really just steer clear of those tickets. And yeah, I, I, I do not trust eBay at all for concert tickets. Now, if you're going to go for broke and try and score a ticket at the actual show, as in like I'm going to go walk up and down the street, there's one thing that might work to your advantage. Take the reseller to the doors with you. That is to say, tell the person you're buying the ticket from that you want them to walk to the door of the venue with you so you can be sure the ticket works. If they have nothing to fear, they might be a little annoyed because they have other tickets they have to sell, but they should be willing to do it to get their money. That way, if it turns out to be fake, you can kick their ass immediately, right? To not listen to them if they say, oh, you know, I'll be here if there are any problems. I'm not going anywhere. I have more tickets to sell. 
Just drag the shady bastard with you. I know it sounds crazy, but I think this is the best insurance policy if you have to take this route, because there is no easier way to give someone a counterfeit ticket than when you're on the side of the street. But along those lines, sometimes you can get the best deal on tickets if you wait until the last minute. It's nerve-wracking, it's a dice roll, I know, but you can end up winning big time. So many times, the people that run companies like SeatGeek have said that the best time to buy a ticket is actually within 48 hours of showtime. Think about it. Tickets are, they're perishable. They're like milk or eggs. They have a very finite expiration date and time because, I mean, you don't, what good is a concert ticket going to do for last night's show? And as much as you may be nervous about finding a ticket, the resellers are nervous about being stuck with useless pieces of paper. Again, this has its share of risks, but many times I've scored an insane ticket price, sometimes lower than face value, the day before a show or the day of the show. And if it's a general admission show, you can save some serious cash this way. I know it might not work out and you end up not going into the show, but don't rule out the fact that, hey, it's the day before the show. There's no way I'm going to get a ticket. Look around. People are trying to offload their goods. One other way to save money on concerts is to travel. I know it sounds weird, but most artists have different prices for their tickets in different cities, and then this, of course, impacts the secondary resale market. A show at a legendary venue or, you know, like a band's hometown show, they're going to have a higher demand, but if you want to go to the same show in... Oh, man, now i got to think of a city to rip on. Uh, Okay, I live in New York City. The secondary market for the Jay-Z Beyoncé tour was vastly different than when it played in my home state of Ohio. That is not a knock on the wonderful state of Ohio, but space, rental equipment, and all the other costs, you know, lifestyles are different. All of those are much lower in Ohio, and it trickles down to the ticket resale market. So if you don't mind traveling, and I'm not saying you have to travel hundreds of miles, but if you don't mind traveling, you might be able to see the same show for an overall lower cost, even with travel sometimes. Look into it. I know, I know that was a lot, but live music is one of the greatest things to experience, regardless of the band or the venue. I mean, I can't count the number of friends I've made over the years at concerts, as few things bond people quicker than a shared love for a band. I mean, that, that's why we're all listening to this podcast, I hope, is because you love music. You want to find out about music. It's, it's a wonderful thing to bond with someone over. But the fact remains that the music industry makes it harder and harder every year for people to get tickets and affordable tickets to the acts they want to see. I hope some of the tips I mentioned help you to score tickets. And hey, if you've got some tricks, tell me them. I mean, really, facebook.com slash the daily guru and on Instagram under earfuel. And let's work together to make positive change in concert ticketing. And I promise the next episode is going to be filled with tons of brightness and laughter. But until then, that's it for this episode of Earfuel. Share and enjoy. Thank you.